And welcome to another edition of the Throwing Bagels podcast. Kevin Mooney here with you alongside Jason Hamo. Hey, Jason. Hey, Kevin. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you, sir? I am doing well. And we are also joined, as always, by Chris Daglas. Hey, Chris. Kevin, how are you? I am great. And how are you this fine evening? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, before we do, before we introduce him, I do want to thank Ray Martel, the executive director of New York Mets baseball on CBS radio for helping arrange this interview. So uh, joining us now is the uh, play-by-play voice of the New York Mets on WCBS radio alongside Pat McCarthy and Mets hall of famer, Howie Rose. It's our pleasure to welcome in Keith Rad. Hey, Keith. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Jason. Hey, Chris. I think I, I think I flowed that in with your, your vibe, right? <laughs> yeah. The that opening. Very good. Very Excellent. good. I was perfect. You're a professional. <laughs> uh, Keith, uh, shortly after the season ended last year, uh, your colleague Pat McCarthy was uh, injured when he was struck by a car while out jogging. He was training for a half marathon. Uh, can you give us an update on, on how he's doing these days? Sure. So amazingly and thankfully and luckily, he is he's good to go. He is I, I guess you'd say close to 100%. If you know Pat McCarthy, you know that he's as uh, bubbly a character as you'll find anywhere in the world. And I just talked to him the other day, and he was as bubbly a character as I'd ever find in the world. So I think he's he's ready to go for the season. But uh, 10 broken ribs, wow, a little plastic surgery, a really scary scene uh, for him and his family. I know that there were a lot of, uh, a lot of people that sent their well wishes. So I, I'm sure he appreciates the three of you guys uh, doing the same thing. But he's good to go, and we'll be sharing the microphone pretty soon here in Florida. Uh, a year ago, uh, the team entered spring training with Buck Showalter as the manager. They had World Series expectations. Season went about as badly as it could have gone. So w- what are the expectations around this team under rookie manager Carlos Mendoza. Yeah, so it's so certainly much different. And I think it's hard to split uh, two different eras, which I think we're really starting a new era of Mets baseball. When you bring in a president of baseball operations to David Stearns and you bring in a new manager, Carlos Mendoza, it's basically, okay, page one. But it's hard to forget about what happened last year and some of the, of course, those core pieces that are still on the team. And I think if you were to carry over basically any theme is that you know these, these guys – on the current roster who were here last year, Alonzo and Lindor and Nimmo, they have a chip on their shoulder after last year. I mean, these these guys are ticked with how it mm-hmm. went down. Uh, I think they took a little bit of a shot in the, shot in the arm, um, a shot in the gut, I should say, about what happened last year. And I think they're ready this year. But it, it, it really is, I hate to say it, you have to kind of close your eyes and start, okay, this is a new path, a new direction for the New York Mets with these two new guys with this core that they have right now, it's a pretty somewhat young core for the most part, but they're going to have a lot of young guys that they're trying to help out, bring in, you know, with they're trying to get Brett Beatty. They're trying to get Mark Vientos. Um, Do you feel like they're going to be able, uh, they'll be able to, you know, help push them along along the path where they're, they're ready to go. Yes. You have that main core with Alonzo, Nimmo, McNeil and uh, Lindor. And then, you know, Alvarez has been sensational as a catcher, Brett Beatty, they would love to just give him the keys to third forever and you know be the next David Wright. Those are obviously huge shoes to fill, but he's a first-round pick, so you kind of have that in your mind. And then other guys like Mark Vientos, who are, who are here, uh, where the future is coming is guys that are in AAA, Drew Gilbert, center fielder, who will probably be the center fielder of the Mets one day, Luis Angel Acuna, middle infielder they got from the Rangers and the Scherzer deal. 
And then some pitchers that we'll see this year, Mike Vassell, Christian Scott, Dom Hamill, who have been with the organization since getting drafted. So, you know, the, the future is coming. The wave is coming. I think we'll see a lot of those guys that you Mets fans may not know of yet. The Vassals and the Hamels see them surface this year, but for guys like Brett Beatty, this is a year where he needs to turn the page of, okay, you got your feet wet. He, he, he played a lot of games last year. It wasn't as if he played 20 or 30 games, uh, but this year he really has to kind of get down Pat, the, the mental hurdle that is playing in the major leagues. He can do it. I personally have seen him play in the minor leagues at a couple different levels. I know he's insanely talented. He just has to kind of figure it out, uh, bring his talent to, to the field every single day. And David Stearns actually said the other day to us on, on CBS radio, we had him for a um, preseason interview. And he's hoping that Carlos Mendoza is that bridge is the, the guy that's able to facilitate a great relationship between the minor leagues and the major leagues and get those guys accustomed to it. By contrast, you have Buck Showalter last year, who has been around the block and you better know your stuff when you're talking to Buck. And it's just a different flavor of manager. Uh, you know, he wanted the veteran to help him win the win the championship because that's a trusted player. He's he's here to win one now, and uh, I think Carlos Mendoza's role while watching this whole team blossom is really hoping the young guys can blossom. Uh, Mendoza's a you know obviously a younger younger guy than Buck, so like you said, he's you know he's able to kind of push help push these guys along. Um, he addressed the entire team for the first time as the manager uh, today. You're not down there right now. You're going to be down there. But what have you heard? How did that go? Yeah, apparently it went very well. You know, everyone wants to get behind closed doors and, and hear exactly what is said. But, I mean, think about it. If, if, if you're a Mets fan, you, you probably know what was said. I mean, Carlos Mendoza is coming in guns a-blazing. I mean, the outside noise, this is – spring training is where the outside noise meets the, the actual reality of the players. You can hear the line of questioning from the reporters – you know, the reporters are sticking microphones in these guys' faces saying, you know, you're not supposed to be very good this year. How do you feel about that? And you go, hold on a minute. I make a couple of million bucks a year. I'm pretty good at what I do. You know, in that clubhouse, in that locker room, they know that there's always a chance to get in. As as crazy as, well, last year's team, of course, they're going to make the playoffs. The question is, how many games would they go in the World Series? Well, they didn't even finish with an above 500 record. So you should literally have no idea. So going into this year, I think it's it's the same feeling with a little more young and youthful vibe and some different faces is that you know they're they're good the, the Mets are good they have a great core of players they have a solid lineup if you write it down one through nine they just have to basically put it together and I don't really think they care about the line of questioning of you guys aren't supposed to be that good that doesn't mean anything to these guys because they're in it every single day so Pete Alonso met with the media last week for the first time and discussed his contract situation do you think there's any possibility that Pete signs an extension with the Mets before he becomes a free agent? I don't, only because uh, his agent is Scott Boris. Uh, if mm -hmm. his agent was anybody else, I'd say maybe. But Scott has a reputation for holding out for the highest amount of money possible. And until you really hit the open market, uh, do you do you find that out? So I think Scott is is going to advise Pete to do that. Is it out of the realm of possibility? No, they could certainly strike a deal. But at the current state of free agency today, February 19th, look at the list of free agents that are still out there and how many of them are tied to Scott Boris. Yeah. Scott does a great job. He he wants <laughs> to get the most out of out of teams. 
Uh, he would be, I, he'd be my favorite agent if he was my agent, but <laughs> it comes a time where, you know, are you asking for too much? Are you not meeting the market? I think to answer your question, Alonzo will probably go through the year and then end up hitting free agency. So Lindor, you know, what is a Boris client and he signed that contract during spring trading um, a few years back. Do you think, I mean, obviously you said no, but do you possibly think there's any chance that, you know, they could work something? I mean, they haven't spoken like Lindor and his agent and, and his you know team had spoken previously to the Mets during that time. Yeah, I, I truly think that the, that that ship has sailed about the, the timing of it. I think they had that chance maybe last year going into the, the next to last year, the contract. That's really the great time for everybody to just sign on. Gets to a point where you're going, you know what? We've made it this far. Let's just a couple more months, see how you do this year, make it to free agency. Could you know, guys bet on themselves and see a lot more dollar signs than normal or they they fall off a little bit and they may miss the boat i mean there's what aaron judge did in his year is one story what michael conforto did is another story he turned down some money that maybe he should have you know as we would probably say sign on the dotted line but i think it's it's just a little too late in the cycle to to talk about that at this point for pete i think a lot a lot of met fans their worst nightmare is that Alonzo hits free agency. He goes somewhere else and the Mets are left with nothing. Uh, how confident would you be in Steve Cohen to, to make sure that he remains a, a Met for life if he does hit free agency? So I, I remove my fan part of me when I sure. talk about these kind of things, because <laughs> I know that front offices, they, they love the heartbeat of a player, but you know, unless you're talking dollars and cents and what are you going to get back? Uh, there's not much of a heartbeat in, in numbers. <laughs> it's not out of the realm of possibility that he potentially gets moved at the deadline, at the trade deadline this year. It's a smart business move. Now, will I be will I be crying my eyes out because I don't have somebody hitting 45, 50 home runs every year? Howie and I are on the edge of our seats. Yeah. You know, game's tied up in the ninth. Pete's up. He's going to win the game right now. You will miss that. But I just think that it's a, it's a business decision for the Mets to at least consider what are our options? What will somebody give us? How is... What does the team look like on July 1st? Are we in it? Are we out of it? All those factors will lead to a decision. I know Pete would love to stay a Met, but when you mm -hmm. sign with Scott Boris, <laughs> you want to stay a Met and you want to also <laughs> get the most money that has ever been printed by the the, the federal <laughs> government. So it's a twofold thing. You know, Pete's looking out for himself sure. and the Mets. And the Mets are have to look out for themselves as well. It's it has to be a an even transaction or close to it. Do you think, um, you know, hypothetically, they trade him or he walks? Either way, they would push harder for a guy like Soto next year. I think a lot of people might squirm in their chairs a little bit to have to make that decision because you have to factor in age, production. That's a tough, tough question. I know that Steve Cohen has enough money to pay both of them, probably a few more than that. But again, it, it all comes down to. You know, you're, you're paying for this potentially long contract. If Pete and the Mets see a dollar figure that they both go, okay, that's fair. I'll agree upon that. Great. But if one party is asking for far too much, and even the fan, you know, if I this is, I have no info. If Pete is asking for $350 million over 10 years, is that a lot? Probably. Is it too, you know, there's a point where things to get to be too much. Uh, and it's just not a smart decision. I, I don't know. I think that they'll... I hope that they'll figure it out. I hope that they'll work it out. I know Pete will go into this year 
uh, looking to hit it, hit 60 homers and drive in 3000 <laughs> RBIs, uh, to make everybody know that he, he wants to be a Met and stay here and, and deserve all that money. But the fact that the, it's taken this long means to me, maybe there's a little disagreement with you know, one, one side sliding over the piece of paper with the number on it and the other side going, I don't know. It's an interesting dynamic because you could potentially be looking at a, a bidding war between the Mets and Yankees for both of those players. So. Yes. We haven't seen that. I don't think ever. I mean, Yamamoto, that's about the only one I could think yeah, of, right? Yeah, the, the true. Off season. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the rotation here for a second. So Kodai Senga is always to be the ace of the staff. Uh, how does the rest of the rotation shake out? Or, or should we be a little bit excited about the rotation? Or what do you think? Yeah, the way the way I see this rotation um, that, that David Stearns has built, certainly there's there's question marks on Luis Severino, but also he's probably one of the guys that I think, man, if they could really channel or find the old Severino for a little while in there, uh, that would be excellent. And I think, you know, Sean Manaya coming in, Adrian Hauser coming in from Milwaukee. If you look at these guys' track record in the big leagues, their ERA is sitting at right about four, which if you pitch nine innings, you're giving up four runs. If you are pitching six innings, which most starters do, it's about two or three runs. That that keeps you in the game. And I don't think this is supposed to be the sexiest starting rotation ever. I think the bullpen looks a little bit better than than the rotation. And I just think the job of these uh, this starting five, potentially six, that's what Stearns has hinted at a little bit, is that uh, just just keep him in the game. And, and that's not the funnest thing ever. But if you remember last year, Scherzer was kind of a lost cause for a while. You didn't know what you're going to get. Verlander showed signs of it. Remember when Jose Quintana came back and it was like, wow, this guy, it feels like there's an adult in the room. He's just keeping <laughs> you in the game. He's throwing 86. He's nibbling at the corners. And the Mets were in and could have won every single one of those games. I think that they're looking at a rotation of Jose Quintana-esque guys outside of Kodai Senga, who's an ace, to just keep you in the game. Go deep, give you some innings. You mentioned the prospects earlier that are that are in AAA. You're like I said earlier, you're going to be heading down to to Port St. Lucie. What have you heard so far before you've gotten down there about the prospects that are down there right now? Especially guys like a Mike Vassell, right, who potentially could be up this year at some point if if the Mets need a starter, and depending on how he does in AAA, and among other other you know Christian Scotts and those guys as well. Yeah, so so from what I'm told and expecting is that the first three games of spring training will be started by, I don't know the order, but it's Mike Vassell, Christian Scott, and, and Dominic Hamill. And a lot of that's by design. Usually the the, the big guys, your, your big league starters aren't, aren't quite ready yet for the first weekend. But it's also the Mets saying, hey, you guys better be ready. We're putting you on a pedestal right away. So I think that there's a good chance we see all, all three of those guys. What I'm interested in is, is seeing how they are brought up to the big league level. Are they just thrown in spot starter going to give us five or six starts each or is David Stearns going to do what he did in Milwaukee with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff guys that we probably know as, as household names right now is use them as a, a piggybacker. So what does that mean? It means a starter by trade comes out of the bullpen and gives you three, four five innings just to get their feet wet. And they did that for a couple of years and then they became obviously now household names and big time starters. Uh, so I wonder about, about those young pitchers. But what I will say is position players versus pitchers probably see more of those young phenom pitchers first rather than Gilbert or Acuna or Jet Williams on the position player side this year. You feel like more the, the position guys are more probably a year away? 
Yeah, I do. I think Acuna is a year away. Gilbert, maybe 2025 starting center fielder. We may see him at the end of this year. I think it's it's a situation where if, if Harrison Bader playing great defense in center, the Mets need a little, little offense. They think Drew Gilbert could maybe provide a little more pop than Harrison Bader in center. Uh, we may see him at the end of the year because he'll start in AAA. And when you're in AAA, you're you're a sneeze and a, and a, and a sprained ankle away from getting a phone call. So uh, he, he'll he'll be ready. He'll be excited. Uh, for that but but you know for fans the future i i came from the minor leagues i i know what some of these kids can do i can't wait to see when they actually do it it's just you know everybody sees social media home runs and they expect social media home runs to happen in real life that same night every single night you know three times a night just doesn't happen that way it takes a while so ronnie mauricio tours acl he's gonna miss the rest of the season how disappointing is that that he's gonna miss the entire season yeah, Ronnie's Ronnie's been. I've known him for a couple of years. He has always felt like he's been on the outside looking in. As soon as Alvarez came around, everybody forgot about Ronnie. As soon as Beatty came around, everybody forgot about Ronnie. And he was the last one to really come up last year. And when he came up last year, I'm still sitting there going, "What? Why did it take so long for this kid to come <laughs> up? Because he's dynamic." And I I really do think if if Brett Beatty doesn't figure out third base, this could have been the year where Ronnie Mauricio transitions to third base shortstop is taken for the next couple of years with Lindor yeah. second base. That could be a spot for Mauricio, but obviously Jeff McNeil is there. Third base is up for grabs. So Ronnie would be learning third base. I think it's, it's very disappointing. I, I feel for, for Ronnie. And uh, I, I just know for the Mets too, as far as this year being a competitive year, but also an evaluative year, it's really a missed opportunity for them. What's your advice to, you know, us fans who are a little pessimistic right now, you know, <laughs> thinking, what do you tell those fans? Buddy told me that Killers of the Flower Moon was the worst movie he had ever seen in his entire life. So I, I went into that three hour movie with extremely low expectations, with nowhere to go but up. And I was like, this is a pretty damn good movie, actually. It's when the expectations are sky high, the payroll is sky high, that Anything falls short is a disappointment, and if it falls short badly, it's a big disappointment. I kind of like these types of years for to be a fan because you, your expectations are not low but simmered, and you have the ability to kind of break out of it. I mean, listen, I will call and I will love and I will enjoy nine innings of 162 Mets games this year, and I am not lying to myself or anybody when I say I'm very excited for 2024 because, again, it's it's – and when you check out this restaurant, it's the best restaurant you ever go to. You take a bite, you're like, eh, it's, it's okay. But if you go in with, you know, medium expectations, you, you could be open to some good things. Is it still surreal to be a play-by-play guy for the Mets, a team you grew up rooting for on Long Island? Uh, yes, yes. It's um, Talking about this with you guys right now is is amazing. It's it's a dream come true because I could I could do this with – uh, the Dayton Dragons, the Frisco Rough Riders, the, the Brooklyn Cyclones. I could tell you, talk your ear off about about those players and everyone would go, who? But to talk about the New York Mets every single night, to, to talk to the family, friends, uh, neighbors that I grew up with, uh, New Yorkers, talk to them every single night and they're listening. That's the that's the best the best dream lived out I could, I could possibly be imagined. So, you know, as you're talking about this year and you know pessimistic mess fans 
you're, you're sadly talking to the wrong guy. I, I couldn't be more happy to be doing this, uh, especially this year. So what was your reaction when you found out that you're going to be named the Mets radio broadcast team? You know, it's, it's just a fulfillment of a lot of hours and sacrifice and loneliness. I mean, I, t- I talked to some, some high school kids about, you know, jump into the business and it's not sunshine and roses when you, when you get into it, it's very, very low pay. If you get paid at all to do the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's a, you basically don't have a social life and you're moving away from family and friends, high risk, high reward. If you make it, you make it. If you stink, goodbye. And it's up to you to decide how long you want to hang in it until you figure out I either got it or I don't. So, you know, I, my wife and I, I, we always said, you know, I'll get to 40 years old. And if it's not happening, it's not happening. And to get the call at 29, but also have put in eight, nine, 10 years in the minors, it was a long time. And a lot of people said, oh, you, you got there kind of quick. Yeah, I did compared to most other people that get there, but I've been doing it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just very, uh, very cool. And, and again, if, if it did, if I got the Seattle Mariners job or the Minnesota Twins job, it, it would be amazing. But to get a job for the New York Mets, it, it feels like it's New York is that highest pedestal and nothing beats it. For myself and Kevin and Chris, to be able for you to to be able to call games with a guy like Howie Rose, you know, for us, we listened to him growing up. I'm sure you did as well. What is it like to be able to say he's my He's my play-by-play partner, and you look guy that you looked up to growing up. I mean, I saw I still have to pinch myself because I mean I sat there yes uh, last year, and there he is making his Hall of Fame acceptance speech on the field, and I'm sitting in his chair doing the game because he was wow. going to be in a suite with his family that uh, that day, and I just you know I had my my chin in my hands and I'm just watching and soaking it in and looking at the chair and it just take a deep breath and think, man, this guy's this guy is a, he's an establishment. He's a Hall of Famer. He has been um, in your brain for a long time if you're a Mets fan. And, and you, you kind of feel things through the voices that you hear. You, you watch the Mets and you, you, you hear a Mets game through the radio and you hear Howie and you feel Howie. Watch TV, mm-hmm. you hear and feel Gary. Um, and a lot of that is organic. A lot of that is Howie's an incredible character and personality. And I always say that, especially with Madge, Chris Madgekowski, our producer, who's Kind of a part of the family on, on the radio. If you listen uh, religiously, you know Madge. Is I'll kind of just sit there and I'll, I'll open up my shoulder and I'll look at Howie and he's telling a story and oh yeah, I got a game to call too here. I, I, I got to snap <laughs> back into it because I keep forgetting. You know, he's telling some unbelievable story about uh, you know Joe Piscopo or Duke Snyder in 1963, and I'm just what really you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm listening just as the fan is listening. So that's 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 the absolute best part about working with Howie. And he's the and he's the best guy too. He's got stories on the air, and my favorite ones are the stories that he can't tell on the air. But I can't tell you those. <laughs> yeah, I the mean one, the ones that we want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For I mean, for myself and definitely Kevin and Chris, like we grew up listening to you know to Bob Murphy and Ralph Kiner, you know, on the radio, on the radio and the television. Um, and there's a lot. There's a generation now that. Howie Rose is is there, Ralph Kiner, and there even Gary Cohn was on the radio at the time, right? And he there's a lot of people that's he's their generation, he's their broadcaster of their generation on the radio. I mean, a lot of people don't listen to the radio as much anymore as they used to, but it's still like it's one of those things where he he became that guy, you know. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's it's really intimate too. That's why I like radio over TV because TV is a whole production. Radio, it's one person saying words, creating this reality in your in your head, and through that you can go in a multitude of ways. The way Bob did a game, the way Ralph did a game, the way Howie does a game are all different, and they're just saying words. But the words that they choose and how they say it, uh, there's no replacing any of them. Everybody does it differently. So um, it's it's amazing to do this job and to be part of a lineage. I mean, people respect the hell out of the, the names that have come out of the Mets booth over, over the years. And to be part of that is, again, I, I pinch myself. I'm just trying not to screw it up, you know, when it's my inning. So <laughs> that's, that's what I had to say about that. What have you learned uh, from working with, with a guy like uh, Howie Rose as far as your approach to calling a game? So I think that the big league approach is different from the just my life in the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. When you're doing a game in the minors, you know, you're talking to families, you're kind of giving updates. How's this prospect doing? But when you're doing a uh, a big league game, you know, in the minors, no one's really caring about the who wins and who loses. They are. There's little moments in there. But one thing I had to really get good at last year that Howie kind of tugged me at my arm and pulled me aside and, you know, the game could be decided in the third inning or the fifth inning. There's that big crux moment, you know, kind of identify that a little bit better because I would wait around till about the eighth or the ninth when it really meant something as I did in the minors. And maybe the game was decided in the fifth inning. And I knew that, but I never portrayed it. It didn't come across in my play-by-play. -play. So it's just pulling on some different strings at different times. Uh, that's that's one thing I learned. Howie's so great at you know punching up the big moment. Uh, I, I had to get better at that a little bit last year because I can be a little bit mellow. But um, yeah, that just constantly learning. I mean, I, I feel like we have a great rapport. Where, I mean, we the Mets shipped off everybody at the deadline, and I feel like we had more laughs at the end of the, the year, the last two months, than we had the first, first three or four. Maybe the Mets should have won more games. We would have had more laughs. But uh, our rapport is awesome. And, you know, he's my, I always say, my 70-year-old new best friend. I mean, I'm, I'm 30, <laughs> he's 70, and we've got to get along for nine innings, which we, we gladly do. As Howie would say, you put a circle around that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what What is that? Because it it's, I don't know if it's really unique to New York, but I know New York really does it more than anyone else, where radio crew you have, Two, you have multiple play-by-play -play people versus maybe some other markets. They have a play-by-play -play guy and an analyst. Uh, so a former baseball player would have you. Uh, what kind of dynamic does that uh, present to listeners to have play-by-play -play guys rotate in and out versus having a play-by-play guy and an analyst? So it's it's unique for sure on on mm -hmm. radio especially. And it's it's market by market. I mean, we are pair of play by play guys, and then when Pat McCarthy jumps on, he's a third play by play guy. Take a look at the Yankees. You have John Sterling who does basically every game, and, and there's Susan Wallman doing mm -hmm. color for every single game. It's it's hard to find people. What I've found, which is crazy to me, because I did every inning of every minor league game that I was assigned to, is people to give you nine innings a night, 162 games. I mean, it's it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> mentally on on people to do and so just a little bit of a, a different voice a different different flavor every now and then um mm -hmm. for two play-by-play -play guys i think it's it's just strictly a matter of you know splitting the duties a little bit instead of you know one voice does play-by-play -play, one does color it certainly works just this is the structure that they've decided on 
I mean, it goes back to the, you know, Bob and Ralph and, and, yeah. and Lindsay that, all right, here's, and here's Bob Murphy and, and here's Ralph Kiner and it's, it's just theirs. So, uh, you know, it's, every market is different. It's just the way that the, the Mets have chosen to do it. But yeah, it's for some, you know, my first year, it's, you read Twitter a little bit. When's Howie going to get back on, on his innings? And, <laughs> but it takes a while. It takes a while to get into people's brains. But once you get in there, hopefully you're there to stay for a while. Do you ever and find which, yourself with uh, like falling out of like a, like a rhythm when, when that change happens? So it's, it's definitely difficult. So when I do a game by myself, you know, Howie will do a hundred games this year. I'll, I'll do take the lead on the other 62. Uh, once you're starting in the first inning, juices are flowing. You're laying out the, the defensive alignment. You're given the starting lineup. You're introducing the starting pitcher. Uh, you basically then go into the first two innings and you're recapping what happened yesterday. And there's a flow. There's a rhythm there. And then it, when you toss it to your partner to the third inning, like Howie will, when we're together, I'll do the third and the fourth. He'll throw it to me for the third. I'll have to go, okay, well, Howie just said all these things that I would have said if I started the game. You got to pick it up. You know, he's passing the baton and it's your turn to run around the track. Track's a little bit different though. So it's it's definitely a challenge. I mean, I, I will... <laughs> Literally, when I do a book and I prepare, if I'm doing the game and I'm leading, I'll prepare one way. If, if Howie's leading and I'm coming on second, I won't talk about the obvious thing that the the top story of the day for that player. I have to come up with B and C and D because Howie would have hit that already. So it's it's difficult. You have to learn that. I remember in the beginning of the year, because I had done so many minor league games by myself, I forgot what it was like to be the second in command and have that that muscle. So how I would do the game and you go through the lineup. Okay, here's your first batter, blah, blah, blah. It says a news fact. I look at my book. I go, well, I can't say that. Well, I can't say that. Well, I can't say that because he just said it all. And so that forces you to go, all right, let's get creative. Let's let's find something fun and unique about, about this player uh, or different ways of doing it. So that's why I love the challenge, though. It's really... Uh, every night it's fun. Where, where's and, and that's the other thing too. Where's Howie going to go? Is he serious tonight? Are we talking baseball, or is, or is he going to have a little more fun? And maybe I can steal some of those those mm -hmm. facts that he had. Uh, that's part of you know building a chemistry as well with somebody. And what's the dynamic like when it's you and Howie versus you and Pat? You know, Howie is. If you look at the strengths of all three, is that Howie's so knowledgeable about the Mets and mm -hmm. he's done this and the way he he calls a big play or the way he calls a play where the Mets blow at the eighth inning. And he has that exasperated fall out of your chair. I can't believe this happened <laughs> feeling. I can't replicate that. I need a couple more seasons of Mets baseball maybe, and I could replicate that. But that's, that's what makes Howie so good. People always say, man, I, I, I felt what Howie was saying. I, I felt exactly what he was saying. And that's an art form. That is why he's in the Hall of Fame. That's where we all aspire to be. And, you know, Pat and I really were just kind of getting our feet wet last year. Here's what here's what I can do. I, top, you know, prospect coming up from AAA. I, I can hit, I can pitch, I can throw a little bit. You know, wh how will I fit in the major leagues? And you just hope that your, you know, your fastball that got guys out at AAA is going to get guys out of the big leagues, which is something that we had to, had to learn. Um, but, you know, I, I think for people who listen to me and to, to Pat, we're, you know, we're, it takes a while to really introduce yourself to somebody. I like to, you know, crack a few more jokes maybe than, than most people like to do a little bit of a dry sense of humor every once in a while. I mean, those things take time to come across. Um, but 
you know, we're just getting started. And I, I love working with Pat. Uh, Pat is again, a, a big teddy bear, as I, as I said at the beginning. And uh, I, I know you can hear our youthful energy come through when, when we're doing games, because we are, we're the little babies of the broadcast booth next to, next to the old guy sometimes. <laughs> when a player goes through their career, they progress from the lower level of the minors to single A, double A, triple A majors. Do broadcasters follow that that same path? I mean, for your your career, you you started with the Long Island Ducks, uh, then went to double A, uh, calling games for the double A Frisco Rough Riders, and then single A Brooklyn, and then to the majors. So uh, are broadcasters' progressions any similar to players' progressions through the minors and the majors? Yeah, so I I, I love this because when I was on the, the bus in the minor leagues, I used to ask the players questions all day and they go, hey, Rad, we got a question for you. How do you, how do you get to the major leagues? What's the path? You go up the left. Do you come with us to double A? Do you come with us to triple A? I go, I wish it was that easy. Yeah, right? Imagine that. <laughs> that was the best. Uh, so, you know, when you learn, that's when I was coming out of college, that's the way that I saw some people's path going. So I started at A ball and then independent ball and then double then A. And then when I got to AA in Frisco, which is really right outside of Dallas, it's, it's a major, major market area. I started to see a different writing on the wall. My, my goal was always to come back to New York and do New York baseball, because to me, that was, that was the pinnacle. You know, mm-hmm. my friends weren't going to respect me if I was doing the Seattle Mariners gig or the twins, <laughs> I needed to get back to the Mets, something right in front of their faces. <laughs> so I saw the way that that the media was around, the decision makers were around. And I thought, you know, if, if I got a job at AAA, a lot of those AAA places are, you know, El Paso or Sacramento. I mean, certainly there's some bigger markets there, but you're just in AAA by name. So that I went back to New York. I went back to short season A, which was only 76 games. And I had people in the business, friends, who said, what are you doing? Like, what what are you doing going back to single A? Are you, are you giving, is this like the beginning of the end? But I kind of thought, let me get back to New York. Let me see the way that if I can slide somebody a tape in New York and be around, as I saw people do it in Dallas, maybe that was the way to, to get to the big leagues. And Brooklyn actually went from short season to high A. So it went back to full season and that was pretty helpful. But a lot of people, especially decision makers, thought of the Cyclones as still, you know, the rinky-dink, short-season, Class A affiliate of the New York Mets. So it, it is crazy, I guess. I mean, it was for people single A to the major leagues, certainly, certainly. But you know, I, I always wanted to be a big league broadcaster wherever I was. You know, that mentality of if it sounds big league down here, maybe it sound it'll sound big league up there, no matter what level you're at at the minor leagues. Did you ever? think about saying you know what maybe this wasn't the best decision and i should go to try to go to like another double a team or work try to work my way up to a triple a team before going up to the majors so i think that being in brooklyn working for the same team for multiple years being a new york mets employee when sterling equities the Wilpons owned us and then steve cohen bought the team and to stay there and make contacts with people and go to spring training and I knew the players and I knew the coaches because I'd been there for multiple, multiple years. When you have that level level of familiarity, it just, it just helps in, in getting to know people and hopefully they get to know you. Problem is, is that, you know, the Odyssey and WCBS 880, they're not Mets, Mets employees. So it's, you still have to kind of 
get in front of the right people. But I, I never thought about leaving leaving New York. I just thought, because I, I had kind of made up my mind to go from double A back to New York, no matter what, this is the way I'm going to do it. If I'm going to do it, this is the way I'm just going to try to make it the, the New York route and, and have people know who I am. Uh, that was, that was, that was it. And then it, it really was getting, getting validation and feedback from big league broadcasters. I send my tape to, and, and once you have that, what at the end of the day, I hate, I hate to say it and, and minimize it, but if you, if you sound good enough, if you have the, if it's, if it sounds like it, it's it. And there's a lot of guys that are working on it. Some guys will never have it. I really hate to say that because I know so many amazing people that do it for so long and they love it, but they might not have it. And that's what I was always searching for. Am I good enough to do this? Am I waiting till 40? And then I read the handwriting on the wall that I, I'm not that good. But once I, I would get feedback from big league guys that say, hey, this sounds good. Try this or, or say this word or you know work on it. Once I had a lot of solid feedback, I thought, okay, now, now I'm going to send my stuff to decision makers because I never wanted to do it until I felt like I was, I was ready. And I just wanted some time to work on it. was patient enough, uh, refed a bunch of hockey games and delivered as many pizzas as I could in the meantime to make ends meet. And then hopefully, you know, once you send the tape out, cross your fingers, hopefully made enough contacts to get in the door. When did you actually become interested in broadcasting? MVP baseball 2005 in my in my living room. My mother's like, <laughs> you know, your your comments, you're commentating your own your own game. That's great. Uh, but eventually, I I got to college and I had no idea what I wanted to do. But a pretty strong writer, so I just majored in communications, joined the radio station, did a music show, and they the kids that were running the station said, you got to be on a committee, pick a committee. And I said, okay, here's my committee choices. They go, uh, we need somebody for sports. All right, great. What do I know? So that's how I got started in it. I was, you know, bored up. I'd hear the juniors and seniors send the game down the line. I put them up and then I put the commercials on and I thought, okay, this is kind of cool. And then once they said, Hey, we're going to put you on a soccer game and do color commentary with this older kid. And then you start to, to build an interest in it. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that the story I always tell is that uh, I was doing a Dayton-Richmond uh, men's soccer game at Bojan Field in Dayton, Ohio, my freshman year with Kevin Christen. And I was so awful that after the game, even my mother was like, you know, your parents are always like, we love you. Even after the game, she goes, maybe you want to try something else. And I thought, wow, that must have really been awful, atrocious. Oh, so, God. so that to me, that to me was, and my, my mother is very honest and loving and it's been great, but it was, it was a challenge to me. I'm, I'm kind of a stubborn, this little Irish, this little Italian in there, a little stubborn. Um, people tell me I can't do something. I'm a big person and showing them kind of thing. And it was just a, like a mini challenge. And I remember that game thinking, okay, I was awful. But wait a minute, I grew up listening to these people. I could start to study this and I, I get it. I, I love sports. Let me listen to the broadcasters and, and figure it out. So, you know, it was really college, getting exposed to it and having that, that kind of wake up call and then just doing it. And I always preach that to kids is just do games, do innings, do basketball games, do the tape recorder thing up in the seats, do it in your living room, just work, work mm -hmm. like crazy.
But how well did you know soccer back then? Like, did you actually <laughs> understand the sport or was it just kind of like a, I got thrown into it, so I'm just going to do it and whatever happens, happens type thing. Yeah, I, I remember it was TV. So, you know, it's on the color commentator on TV to do most of the talking. I, I played soccer when I was eight, you know, that was about it. <laughs> so I just kept saying these same things over and over again. And I, I, I to this day, I... Yeah. I I don't like soccer. I really don't call much soccer anymore. And it was awkward. You kind of, but it was that uncomfortable feeling of the mic's on, say something. And that feeling, that uncomfortability was, okay, let me figure this out. But when you start to do multiple sports, you realize what you're better at and what you're, <laughs> you're, you're not good at. And soccer is not my forte. <laughs> um, so aside, probably, I'll say probably aside from Howie Rose, who are some other broadcasters that have influenced you along the way? So you have to listen to everybody. Um, and I, I preface that because I, I do love John Sterling's uh, conversational style. I, certainly that is high as far as gone, the A-Rod from A-Rod, all the, the big calls. But the way him and uh, Susan, their rapport is, to me, great. It's, it's comforting. It's comfortable. It's funny. I mean, they talk about – I'm kind of an old soul, so – I remember one of the Sterling home run calls, Joey Gallo. It's pal Joey. It's like a Sinatra movie from like, you know, the 1700s. Like, <laughs> yeah. but I love that kind of stuff. I just love that old, that old uh, mentality and some of the old jokes, but probably the guy that I love was, is, is, is Al Michaels. I know in 2024, Al's as Andrew Marchand for the post would say, he's lost a couple of miles per hour on the fastball, but at his best, I think Al's the, He's what I want to be as far as conversational. That those Sunday night games that I would be in college and him and Collinsworth would do it. I heard somebody refer to it as you felt like you were having a bourbon and a cigar and you're just sitting in a lounge and these two guys are telling you the game. To me, that's my vibe. That's my style. Just just talk to me. And but you know, there'd be entertaining and inflection. But that was Al Michaels was was my guy. And then I'd go back and I'd hear Miracle on Ice. And I think wow, his voice was pretty high back back in 1980. <laughs> it changes over the years. <laughs> for you, what does your offseason look like? Do you call games for other other places uh, during the off baseball offseason? I usually do. I usually uh, do a little college basketball, a little NBA G League. I usually do some football. Uh, this offseason, though, I was daddy daycare. My, my wife and I had our first child in September. Congrats. Congratulations. So, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, you know, the season is so long. Uh, mm. So to be home for, I, I literally did one basketball game in, in November. The season is so long. I just wanted to be present because it really, it has a lot to do with the nine years in the minor leagues. The season would end and it's Monday through Friday, doing sales, selling tickets. You get right back to the grind. And I just thought, you know, hey, we're, we're we're in a good spot right now. Yeah. Let's just stay home and enjoy some family time and see my daughter grow. She's now five and a half months, changed a heck of a lot of diapers, and I've got a heck of a lot more in front of me still. But it's been great. But usually it's you know, next offseason back to college football, excuse me, college basketball, some college football as well. Keith, we appreciate your time. I just one final question here for you. We just wanted to get your thoughts and your reaction to Oakland naming Jenny Kavner uh, the first female play-by-play of voice in major league baseball history. Yeah. So Jenny is, I think the first primary, uh, primary voice yeah. in, yeah. in MLB history, which is, it's just terrific. Uh, you know, the, in, in the minor leagues, I've known some, some women here and there that have 
that have been trying to get to the to the major leagues. And to be honest with you, it's been so unfair. That I take this from from a personal standpoint of sending out tapes. Everybody's opinion is so subjective. And what frustrates me is, oh, that you know, a, a woman sounds a little different on the. It just sounds different. And to fight that stupid mm. subjectivity is mm -hmm. so annoying to me. I mean. I remember I was working with somebody in the minor leagues. I'm not going to mention who it was. And we're doing our book and there was no game on. The Yankee game was on. So I put the Yankee game on and listening because I'm just trying to. And Susan starts talking. And, and my partner goes, is that a woman? I go, what do you mean? Is that a woman? You know that? <laughs> yes, she's a legend. What are you talking about? So yeah. I am so happy for Jenny because that hopefully kicks down the door of just the, the, just the way it goes in your ear. It goes in your ear and it's and it's a good sound. Is she doing a good job? Does she know what she's talking about? Mm -hmm. Are you enjoying listening to her? And so I'm I'm just happy because there are so many great women out there that are doing a great job, working their tails off. And some decision maker just man, it just doesn't sound doesn't have that. There's something missing. Well, I don't know what it is. Yes, you you know what it is. You 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 don't know. You haven't heard that sound enough. So I'm so happy for her. You know the Melanie Newmans of the world. Beth Mowens, it's um, minor league ladies out there too that I that I know. Emma Tiedemann does an amazing job. You know, these people need their opportunities to get up there. And Jenny's she's gonna have she's gonna be kind of that Mount Rushmore person. So I'm happy for her. Well, Keith, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join us uh, on the podcast. And um, best wishes uh, this year and, and all the continued success uh, on your on your spectacular career so we we really appreciate it thanks guys appreciate it and hopefully you're listening this year thanks and that was keith rad play-by-play -play voice of the new york mets on wcbs radio alongside pat mccarthy and mets hall of famer howie rose it's a, a fantastic radio booth and man it was great to to spend some some time with keith and, and learned a lot of great things really about behind the scenes right what does it take to to put together a broadcast and to work with the legendary Howie Rose. Yeah, I, I was, I was fascinated to hear, you know, that question that we, that you asked about, you know, the, his trek, you know, going from, you know, to a higher level and then coming back down to a lower yeah. level and being like, what are you doing? Why would you do something <laughs> like that? You know what I mean? Cause in my head, I thought the same type of thing. I know he's coming back to New York City, which obviously is, you know, the media capital of the world, but you know, it's still minor league baseball. So how does that work? So I was really I was I I was very interested in what he had to say about that. It was a gamble, right? He yeah. bet on himself and he won. He won. He definitely won. He won. And he's got it. Yeah. Like right. he said, either you got it, you don't got it. And he's got it. I I wanted to ask about um you know, he mentioned like the the players would say, "Are you coming with us when we go up? If we go up to Double A and things like that." <laughs> I kind of was curious to ask. I did, we didn't. I didn't ask the question, but I was curious to know. Like, you're about the same age as a lot of these guys, right? He still yeah. is basically a lot, about the same age as a lot of these yeah. guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, him and Alonzo are pretty much the same age. Like, <laughs> like, do they? How is that interaction? You know, and I'm you know versus you know a younger, an older you know, broadcaster and a younger guy, you know, things like that. But I was, I would, I would have been curious to hear his, his answer to that. Mm -hmm. I, I would have been curious to know the stories that, uh, Howie Rose tells well, yeah. off the air. <laughs> Cause I'm sure oh. those are really good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would love to hear really some of those good. stories. <laughs> 
Well, you're not going to know, and you I never know. Will know. I know. That's a bummer. <laughs> One day. Uh, uh, Maybe. <laughs> you never know. So we record this on a Monday evening. Uh, this will air Wednesday on a Wednesday, right? Every other Wednesday is when our podcast hits. And to to change the topic a little bit, guys, to get to the the um, more along the lines of what throwing bagels is all about. Uh, we are looking at a Suniac semifinal playoff game for the Oswego State Lakers coming up this yeah. weekend, and ninety percent chance that they will be hosting Plattsburgh again. Here we go again. Yeah, it's it's. I've, like I've deja seen vu, this movie man. many right. many times. Deja and vu, and the outcome was not usually the one that I wanted. It's not even bagels that we would be throwing on the ice. It's pretty much anything you can grab your hand just to throw <laughs> it on the ice because you're mad. Yeah, man. Seeing that smirk of Emery uh, walking off the ice. Yeah. Well, at least he's not there anymore. So yeah, yeah. Not, I know. But, but it's ingrained in my mind. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> I remember like one year, I think it was a playoff game uh, or regular season in any case. We were, so we were at the game and there was Plattsburgh and I think Plattsburgh beat Oswego that night. So a bunch of us went over to the press box, uh, you know, just get some beers and eat, get some food, whatever. And so we're all sitting there chatting and in comes Plattsburgh fans, all in their oh, jerseys. Oh, no. and then the players come in and then head coach Bob Emery comes oh, in. God. He's got, he's got that smirk, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> That's how you smirk. like that? Um, and we said, I, I think, we'll, I think we'll head out now. Check please. And so oh, we, that's, when, that's when you, that's when you, that's when you go, uh, outsiders or, uh, West side story on them. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A <laughs> hundred to three. Yeah. That's fair. That's a fair fight right there. Um, but you know, the, the thing is, uh, Swigo, Really has it doesn't happen often, but they beat Plattsburgh twice in the mm. regular season, right? And you know, it's a cliche, I know it's tough to beat a team three times in a year, but those two games don't matter. You got to really yeah. reset the clock and and we'll see what happens, yeah. But that's what yeah, scares that's, me, right? Yeah. And that, that's the that's the part. It's you know, you've had it's it's been kind of an up and down season, you know, mm. for you know, you sweep. Plattsburgh, you can't beat Portland. Yeah. And yet you're in the semifinals of the SUNYAC championships and you get a chance to play Plattsburgh for a third time. And Plattsburgh fans, I'm sure, will be saying third time's a charm. You know, yeah, that's that's what they want. That's what they want. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it's just like the whiteout game, complete domination in the first period. And just kind of saw it through to the end and and got the winners uh, late in the third. So, yeah, we'll see. When was the last time we could ever say, if ever, if ever, we did not be Portland once in a season? Yeah, like that's a wild part. I, I can't even in our time at in our time at Oswego, that thought never would have crossed my mind no, to no, hear something no, like that. Not at all. Like uh, it's really a statement of how far the Cortland program has come because mm-hmm. uh, sure. they were they were bad like Cortland, they do their sports well like yes. you name a sport and they Everything. do it well 
but Mm -hmm. hockey had been the exception for so long and now it's no longer an exception. They are building a strong program and it's not that Oswego has gotten worse. It's just that Cortland has gotten better. Right. Yes. You know, that's just it, but you're right, Jay. I mean, uh, Oswego, uh, lost to Cortland in the regular, they lost two games and they tied in Oswego's, uh, mid season tournament. So yeah, oh two and one against Cortland. That's rare if ever. I don't know if that if that's ever happened to us yeah. we before. But again, now that we're in the playoffs, a whole new game. And uh let's not forget the uh Oswego men's basketball team is gonna be in the semifinals of the SUNYAC because they get a bye in the first round because they are 17 and 0 in conference and 24 <laughs> and really one, good. 24 and one overall. Yeah. The next, closest, the next closest team was, I believe, Oneonta at 12 and six. Yeah. So, you know, let's, let's also don't, let's not forget about them that they're, they're going to be playing this weekend as well. well. And we'll definitely see them in NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, that's, oh, yeah. I, I mean, they're number four in the conclusion. country, I believe yeah. at this point. So, so what, what they made it to the elite last year, right. The final eight teams last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'd be surprised if they don't make it to the same point and hopefully they'll take that next step and get into the final four. Yeah. I mean, they had one loss this year and that was in that D3 Hoops Classic in their yeah. first game when they lost to uh, Case Western Reserve, who is who's also a highly, pretty highly ranked team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully they learn from that. And, you know, when they get into the tournament and can use that, use that as a stepping stone mm-hmm. for sure. Well, uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening were like, oh, you went from Mets to Oswego pretty quickly there. That was a very <laughs> fast turnaround. But that's throwing bagels for you, maybe. That's right. We're here to that's, throw some that's bagels. That's what we do around here. That's but right. we're also here to say, uh, if you look at 2024 for the Mets, we go back to that. Honestly, there is some room there to be pleasantly surprised. I guess we'll we'll put it that way. Because yeah, every, think about last year pretty much everyone on the roster played below their career average. So what are the odds that that happens again this season? I mean, it's, yeah. McNeil yeah. had an off year last year, yeah. a very, a very off year last year. Alonzo hit two thirty something. And to be quite honest with you, he's mo- in majority of his, of his uh, career, he's never really hit below two sixty. No. You know, he yeah. had one bad year, but that was also the 2020 season. Of of average wise at least. So, you know, he's usually a 260-ish hitter, you know, which is obviously, you know, not horrible. It's not great, but it's not horrible. But for a power hitter like him, I'll take that all day. And what he said in his press conference the other day was he wants to work on, you know, on his uh, you know, on his on his eye and just make sure that he doesn't take he doesn't chase as many pitches as he did last year. That was what he that's what he was working on this offseason, is not well, is this chase rate. Yeah, and I don't think it's as much the hitting that anyone worries about as much as the pitching and, and what the bullpen is going to be like. And, you know, we're going to see Edwin Diaz back at, at full strength. And, and you know, those questions still remain for the Mets. Um, and that was a problem last year as well. So if if they do pleasantly surprise us, it's going to be because of the pitching staff. Yeah, and I don't think their bullpens are going to be as bad as a lot of people are, are saying. I think they have a decent back end of the bullpen. You know, it's obviously that middle relief, but I think they have some decent middle relievers out there. And, uh, you know, I also read earlier that that guy Fujinami that they brought in, he apparently is better than uh, people are are giving him credit for. So, you know, if he can, can imagine if like if he comes out of nowhere and he can start games or or he's at least just a 
very good middle reliever, like that's a huge step for them. Yeah. It's really going to depend on how Diaz looks. I, I, I mean, I've said it before. I don't see him twirling another season like he did a couple of years ago. I just don't see it. I think he's going to regress a little bit, but even then he's still one of the better closers in baseball. Yeah. But a regression is like, you know, as long as he doesn't go back to his first season with the Mets, a regression from his last season, his last season, he played for the Mets is, you know, a normal year for any closer. I'll take that any day of the yeah, week. For sure. You know, for sure. Yes. By the way, one correction. It's New Pulse and Brockport that had 12 and 6 records, not Oneonta. Wow. Uh, That's actually okay. surprising. Yeah. Well, I think that will do it for this edition of the Throwing Bagels podcast. Boy, we had two baseball play-by-play guys on the podcast yeah. this week. Baseball heavy. Baseball Spring heavy. Training. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's finally here. looking forward to it and uh on our next podcast we will be joined by brent axe our trivia point of trivia our first ever throwing bagels podcast guest he will be returning to talk about some syracuse hoops as the uh, acc tournament is right around the corner so that'll be a, a great interview so we're looking forward to talking to brent uh, but until then, you can check us out online, throwingbagels.com. You can email us, throwingbagelspodcast at gmail.com. We'll hope to hear from you soon. Jason. Happy birthday, Joe. Happy birthday, Joe Yurden. Yes. <laughs> Jason, Chris, been a pleasure as always. Yes, sir. Good night. Enjoy. See good night and good day. And whenever you happen to listen to this, we'll see you later. 